Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Alex Haley, who during her near-death experience saw the typical Buddhist death, and today we're going to learn about it. Alex, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you for having me. So if you don't mind, Alex, let's just start on the day of your first NDE and go from there. Okay. Well, it was the odds of March. <laughs> this is March 15th, uh, 2001, and there was an event uh, that when they got me to the emergency room, uh, it just happened that a doctor I knew thought something was wrong and he came there. And by the time they got me into the room, the doctor, the other doctor said that she's gone. I'm going to, you know, call a time. And the doctor I knew, I learned this later because he told me, he said, no, no intubator. And the doctor said, no, she's gone. She didn't have any vitals. And uh, Paul, the doctor, started trying to intubate me myself, himself. So they pulled him back and they intubated me. And I was uh, five days on uh, life support in ICU. During that time, what happened to me was that uh, the first thing I saw was just blackness. It was, I've seen it described as velvet blackness. It was, it was so black. I didn't know if I, it was, it was like it was so long that I didn't know if I'd ever really existed or not, or if I was a person or if I was maybe just a thought. Uh, I was scared and uh, real scared. And I didn't know anything. I didn't remember that I had a name or a life or anything like that. <clears throat> so uh, after what seemed like a hundred years, uh, it got gray. And I could sort of see things. And then what I saw, I'll tell you. And then I went down as soon as I got back out of the hospital and wrote them all down. So the first thing I saw was like uh, I was out on my back and it was just I was suspended and I had on the color. It was the color of sunset. It was just this orange, which I later found was I knew nothing about Buddhism, but later found that that was the color that the certain that the Dalai Lama wears, and it had three ribbons on the sleeves, and it had, and I couldn't move my head because in the physical world they had my head taped down to a board because I was intubated, but I could move my fingers and look out of the side of my eyes, and I thought, okay, I have fingers. I can see that's me. There's something. There's me. And there was a rope tied uh, around my waist. It's had some kind of tassel on it and went all the way to my feet. And even though I couldn't see my feet, I knew where there were those ribbons. And uh, and then the then the thing I saw was like clouds going by kind of slowly. And then uh, they became faster and scary because they had that Doppler effect. They were going shoo, shoo, shoo. 
So I said, if I just close my eyes, I won't see them, but I couldn't, I closed my eyes, but I could still see them. And they were getting faster and faster. And uh, I was quite upset. Um, I didn't know what was happening. And then the next thing I saw was like, I was on a desert and I could see something, but I couldn't tell what it was. It seemed like something in the distance, but it just moved and moved and I couldn't tell what it was. And the next thing I saw after that, it got dark again and there were little bitty sparks of uh, just orange every just here and there. And then they got faster and faster. Uh, and so that's what I wrote down when I was able to write it down because it's as memorable as it was then now and uh, <clears throat> so I wrote it all down and it changed my life you know that marriage was in trouble anyway so there was a divorce and but I still was kind of myself but then two years later uh, I was gonna I bought a, a an audio book called Advice on Dying by the Dalai Lama and uh, in that audio book I was driving one when I was um, I was driving when I was re listening to it and it started talking and I hadn't been able to find it anywhere, the, the book on audio or anything. It was a cassette, but I, it started telling about the stages that you will see if you are practicing Buddhist and you die a conscious death. And it said clouds, mirage, fireflies, and clear light. And when I had this myself when I saw these orange, it said it, it said fireflies that they would appear more and more and it looked like orange sparks in the bottom of a walk pan. That, I remember that's what it said. But when I, I don't know how I should tell this so it's, so it's easier to understand. But when I saw that, uh, when I was in ICU, I was, um, it wasn't a voice because it wasn't outside, but it was inside my head. And it said, you can choose now. You can go back or you can go on. And then it said, you've done enough. You don't have to go back. And then there was this thread, this spool of thread that started unwinding just very fast to the left of me. Same color as my clothing. And I thought, I'll make a decision when the thread runs out. And then I realized the thread wasn't ever going to run out. It just kept going and going and going. And then even though I didn't remember who I was, I remember that I had two kids. And they were pretty much grown, but their dad was an alcoholic. And I said, anyhow, so I needed to come back. And so as soon as I thought of them... It was as though I had dropped from the ceiling of the ICU onto my bed. It even felt like it sounded like I landed with a thump and the ICU nurse was there and said, oh, she's awake, she's awake. And they got the intubation tube out of me. And uh, uh, anyhow, so back to back to the uh, back to the uh, book. Advice on Dying by the Dalai Lama. It was interpreted. I don't know if it's kind of uh, trying to do this. I know we don't have a lot of time. Uh, so, uh, 
So these four stages, the clouds, the mirage, the fireflies, and the next one was clear light. So evidently fireflies is just before clear light and clear light is just the point of no return. Fireflies is just almost the point of no return. You know, you're almost there. And that's when I got the question about whether I wanted to come back. Um, I got back. I didn't want to be back. Um, and uh, so, so what happened when I heard this, I was on Interstate 30 and I pulled off and I couldn't, I was just squeezing the steering wheel because I couldn't believe, I thought I was imagining it. But I got back to my house and I pulled out that piece of paper that I had written down and everything that was said on that advice on dying by the Dalai Lama was just exactly what I had seen. I never knew anything about Buddhism before. Uh, after I, it's when I woke up, it's when I had this, when I found out what happened was when I had the spiritual awakening. I tried, I went to a Buddhist retreat and I was looking at these books and one of the girls said, you can't read that yet. And I said, no, the rest of these are too elementary. I've got to read this one. And she said, I'm giving you a ticket for Dharma speeding. You, you can't. <laughs> you can't read that yet. And I said, no, this makes perfect sense. I've got to read this one. At any rate, I tried, you know, to look at Buddhism for a while and then life really just completely fell apart. I lost my law practice and I've basically been on the road for 20 something years trying to mm, figure out what happened. Uh, nobody, one of the the Buddhist monk knew about it. And when I was there, he said, how many people in here have died? And I was the only one that raised my hand. So we talked later, but you just can't tell people that. Um, so, so my life fell apart and I kept, I could work for a little while and then I worked, you know, I thought I was secure and, and then I had a bad thing happen at work that wasn't, I was Expected to do something that I couldn't do, and so I lost my job. Alex, thank you for sharing your NDE experience with us. Do you know why a person sees these four things in that order? Why do they see clouds, then a mirage, then fireflies? What is the symbolism or what is behind that? They call it bardo, and they call each stage of life uh a, a certain bardo and those are what is called bardos and if you know like the like the buddhist monk that was set on fire in vietnam it was sort of like that you go to a different place and the places you go are 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 different places and further and further away from life so you're in what's called the bardo of that and and the only thing I can figure out is that must be what he did because he was so far away from physical life that he could be burned alive without feeling it. Yeah. Do you know what the fireflies represent? Are those like other beings out there or just sparks no. of energy? No, I've tried to look it up. Nobody at the Buddhist camp, it's almost like it's a secret thing. I mean, I'm sure it's not, but uh the firefly it's just the stage 
it's the stage. It's the first stage you'll see cloud. It's the stage. It's it's almost like you're going through doors. This is the first door and you see clouds. And the second door you go through, if I can call it a door, you see a mirage. And the third door you go through, you'll just see sparks of orange and they get faster and faster. And immediately after that, you go to clear light, which is the final door, which is the death of your of your body. You mentioned doors. Do you feel like you actually cross through some type of barrier like a door in between each one of these realms? I think, yeah, I used the word door because it was the word I had, but it was a barrier. It was, I believe that it was a barrier and that, that it would be like just traveling through space or time. You just, you're here and then you're here. It's, it's, I think, yes, barrier is a good word. Now, you heard the voice that gave you an option of staying or coming back. Who do you think that voice came from? I don't know. I didn't recognize the voice at all. It was inside my head. It wasn't out. It wasn't spoken out. It. I can't remember if it was a male or a female voice, but I remember it specifically said, you have a choice now. You can go, keep going, or you can go back. And then the thing that surprised me so much is it said, you've done enough. You don't have to go back. You think it's possible that you fulfilled enough of your purpose on this life so you you know, you can stay? Because many NDE people are told that they have to go back. You know, they haven't done what they, they're supposed to do. That's what I've read, and I've also read that they have these wonderful experiences of seeing things and beautiful things, but it was all dark and scary and gray for me, and uh, I I wasn't told I had to go back. The thing that surprised me so much is that I was told, you've done enough, Mm -hmm. and maybe... um, Maybe whatever soul contract I had before I came in, because I've read a lot of Michael Newton's books, maybe that I had fulfilled that, but maybe Mm. I decided, you know, I could do a little bit more. Mm. Uh, But it was hard. I've always wished I wouldn't have come back. It seems like once you remembered your children, that was the catalyst that sparked you to come back and that's also a common thing that i see that's when someone remembers their children or their parents or their or you know somebody do you think that was the spark that brought you back it was the only thing because it was the only thing i could remember i could remember their names and i could see them i just still didn't know who i was but as soon as I remembered them, as soon as I thought of them, that's when I came back. I didn't mm-hmm. think of them and then go, well, will I go back or not? I thought of them and went, no, I can't leave them. And it and what the situation would have done to them. And I, actually, I didn't know the situation then. That was later, but... As soon as I remembered them, I fell from the ceiling. It was, no, 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 no. As soon as I remember them, it felt like the the rope on me was pulling me back. And that's the only tunnel I saw, but it was pulling me really fast. But the tunnel was black and and I was going really fast backward. 
and then then I fell into my bed. I I thought surely everyone heard it or saw it because it was like falling from the ceiling into the bed. Do you think it's possible that this was an unpleasant experience for you because of the way that you transitioned, that you were just in a low vibrational state? And if, yes. you, if, if it was a some other event and you were in a higher vibrational state, it would have been pleasurable. I believe that. I believe that the the stress around the event was uh, an incredibly low vibrational state. I don't understand. Oh, I want to tell you this thing, too, because this in this has to do with the Buddhist deal. Years later, when I was just on the road, there was, was a long story. It doesn't matter, but I was happened to be in the room with a person I knew that had been a Buddhist for 50 years. And there was a person in the room that entered the room named the Pinchon Lama. He's the second in line after the Dalai Lama. What we were doing all in one room. I don't know, a long story, but uh, the Pinchon Lama came over to me and he put his forehead on my forehead and he kept it there for a long time. And I didn't know what was happening. And after he left, the guy that was the Buddhist just stood there with his mouth open and said, I can't believe I saw that. And I said, what happened? What was that? And he said, he said that was that was a mind to mind transmission from the Pinchon Lama to you, and I said why, and he said evidently there's something that he saw that you were going to be able to help people, and then since this this person named Kalen, since that time, said I've had trouble, I've had to move. He's flown across the country, he's helped me move, and I asked him. A few days ago, I said, why did you do that? And he said, I had to. After what I saw happen with you and the Pinchon Lama, I had to because it was a type of service. And there's going to be something that you can really help people. And it may just be one person that helps. He said, anyhow, I don't want to say exactly what he said because it sounds a little, but it was big. It was big. What he said. It was a. It was. It seemed like it was something really important. All right. Well, let's go on to your second NDE. The second one, I was, ended up in a, in Tennessee, renting a room. Uh, it doesn't matter how, but I was uh, haven't eaten hadn't eaten in a long time maybe over a week and I was laying on the bed and then I could just see myself from way up high through the ceiling and I could just see myself and I kept seeing myself and seeing myself and seeing myself and and I was out of my body maybe it was just an out-of-body experience but I finally got myself to the hospital and I had a blood pressure of like a hundred and 90 over 89 which is really high my blood pressure is really like 110 over 60 and uh, I was in such an anxiety uh, that I put myself in a in a, 
um, in a mental hospital. And it was during that time that I realized how much compassion those people that are in there had for each other. They were all trying to take care of each other. And I realized that my level of compassion had increased by about 10,000%. I, you know, I always try to look out for myself. I was a single mom. I put myself through school. I put myself through law school. I always depended on myself. But now suddenly, all these people, and there are so many stories, but they ended up coming to tell me their stories and what happened to them. And these young kids were saying, I want to go on a cruise. And I said, why don't you work on a cruise? And they were all suicidal. They'd all brought it, been brought in there because of suicide attempts. And in five minutes, they were all sitting together deciding how they could get on the cruise ship and how they could do work and how they could get their medications on there. I thought that was important, but people started coming to me and telling me what had happened to them. They weren't doing that to other people. You don't want to be in a mental facility. And then my friend, a friend that I hadn't seen for 12 years, uh, when I was seeing myself from in that room, uh, I don't know. I just turned my phone on, and in within a minute, he called. I hadn't seen him in twelve years, and he looked at his wife and he said, "We've got." To, he said something. Well, what he said was, well, "They were driving along," and he said, "Have you heard from Alex?" And she said, "Not in a long time," but she didn't seem like she was doing very well, and. Uh, uh, he said, we've got a caller. And she said, no, not while you're driving. And he pulled up to a red light and got his phone and called me. And he looked over at her and said, we've got to have her come here. She can't. She's not going to live. And uh, he was probably right. So I made it back to Oklahoma and stayed with him. And she gave me a job. And I'm trying to do it. Did you see this happening while you were out of your body, them talking to each other? Or did this just no, happen while you were in the they facility? they told me about it. No, they, you can't call the facility. It was when I was going in and out of my body, and the phone rang. I was in my body, and Gus said, um, what's going on? And I, I don't remember what I said. But he he and his wife both told me that they looked at each other and said, she's got to come here. And Gus said, she's not going to live. She's got to come here. So I got from Tennessee to here somehow. I don't remember how. Mm. And that's when, before I went to Tennessee, the la- I lived in seven places in five months. And you couldn't keep a house in the little place. I'm a lawyer. I put myself through law school in two and a half years. I put myself through undergraduate school in four years with two kids and a full-time job as a single parent. I'm not lazy. It's just hard to do things right now. And I don't know if it's because of the NDE and that's why I keep reading about it. After your experiences, it seems like you got an ability to have more compassion or be more empathetic. Do you, is that true? And have you noticed any other abilities that you didn't have prior? Well, sometimes if we're in a meeting, they'll say, oh, and it was, 
and I would say 14 and there we go. How did you know 14? Uh, I can be in line and know if I need to talk to somebody. I think that has to do with empathy. Uh, my boss here said, you're going to have to get over this empathy because you can't help everybody. You've got to get over it. You can't internalize it. And I don't know how to keep from it. That's the part that's bothered me. And then suddenly I started worrying about getting old and being put in a nursing home. And that's selfish. And I don't know why I'm thinking that, but that is the part that scares me. If I could get over that, worrying about that, it's just, it's like everything, it's like every worry in the world that, that we, when we're having our regular lives and, and we get up and we have our house and everything that we don't think about as much, but I think about it constantly. And anybody I see, I mean, there was this, there was this, there was this guy that was just walking along the street. And I said, I went up to him and I said, what can I do to help you? And he said, I don't know where I'm going. I don't, I don't know where my place is. And I finally got his aunt on the phone and she told me to tell him where to go. And my friend came out of the store and she said, you can't just go up to people like that. You will get killed. I said, he wasn't going to kill me. He needed help. So people on the street, people in line. So it sounds like you have this overwhelming need to help people. And I always, the last year, I thought I've got to help people that are in hospice. I've got to help people that are dying. And this job, when I get all the training done, is going to include uh, uh, me being at the hospital and people who have, who are dying uh, to do their end of life who's going to take care of their medical, uh, who's going to do their will, who's going to do their transfer uh, on death at their houses, people that have been burned, people that have been in bad accidents that are dying. So I'm going to get that. I'm going to get to do that. I got to get a grip first. I don't have much of a grip right now. <laughs> Must be a body python. It doesn't matter where he grips it. So when you were there on the other side during your first NDE, you said you didn't want to come back. Do you felt like it was pretty amazing over there? And did you feel like overwhelming love or something? I didn't feel anything. I felt scared. I felt scared and alone and I didn't see anybody. And that's the only voice that I heard until the question came do you want to go on or come back? I didn't know what coming back was because come back to where? Come back to what? I was just, I felt like I'd always been in that condition that I was in, just floating. I didn't. And then I remembered my kids and I sort of knew what coming back was, but I didn't even know what the earth was or things were. And then I woke up and I see you and knew then what coming back was i knew i was in the world and what the world was but when i was when i was over on the other side there was no no beautiful sights there was no there was no guide to help me in except maybe the one that asked me i didn't see anything i didn't see any pastoral scene i didn't see anything i didn't see any beautiful colors 
everything I saw was just scary. Now, did you get to the fourth stage where it was light after the fireflies? No, I, that is the stage that happens after they call fireflies. They call it clear light, and that's absolute death. So I think that the borderline is is fireflies because it said in that audio book that you would see one and then two, and they would become more and more and more and more. And I think that's why they call it fireflies because that's how they light up. And that's and uh, I tried to look it up online. It didn't say a lot. But after that, and after they got to be very, very fast, then everything would be clear light and your life would be completely gone. So I think that was the last border. And that's when I got the question of whether I wanted to go back. Do they talk about what would a person experience in the clear light? Buddhists have certain beliefs that that you just kind of, they don't have the belief like like so many people, uh, uh, Michael Newton and stuff about life between lives. Buddhists think that you just go to a place and then according to, and this is all I've learned, according to your deeds on the planet, you'll come back as an animal or you'll come back, you know, as a hungry ghost. They have a lot of things. People say Buddhism is a way of life, but it's a religion and it has all the earmarks of Christianity. It's just, or any other religion, it just, it just has the idea of, of, of how you'll come back. They do believe in reincarnation, but they don't believe that, that there is a life between lives where you meet with your group and you decide what to do, which makes a lot more sense to me than just arbitrarily coming back as a, you know, well, to antelope. Me, to me, somebody's over there or something's over there on the other side because somebody talked to you and gave you a choice. There was something that was the, that was the, yeah. And when they gave me that choice, that's when the thread showed up. Mm-hmm. And I'd worked in a sewing factory before, so it was this big thread that was a sewing factory thread. And I thought, I'll just wait till that runs out, and I'll, because I didn't understand going back. Well, that you know, I think quite a few people will just say, or have, or have said that this person who I was, I completely forgot about that person, like as if maybe that person didn't never existed. You know, like. Kind of like you. You didn't remember who Alex was. Alex, you know, was something that was long gone. But, and I think also with these same people, some of them, if not all of them, once they remembered some aspect of their life here, that kind of reconnected them. And then almost like you said, a lot of them instantaneously come back as soon as they make that connection or some kind of, they remember they love their children or whatever. That's what happened to me. It was I didn't even say, I have children, I'll go back. I just remembered them and remembered their faces. And then I was being pulled through that whole tube and ended up back in the ICU. Before or after the experiences, were you a religious or spiritual person? Uh, I, I was raised a religious person. And, but yeah, yeah, I had to let go of that. I I was raised a religious person, a Christian faith, and I had to let go of that. 
uh, it finally on one of my my law firm when I just had to close it. I went out to California. I just sat on the floor in this rented room and just let go of it. Let go that God was a big, you know, guy up in the sky with a white beard that that was keeping score. Mm-hmm. I had to let go of it. I can't believe that anymore. And I would say now I'm a spiritual person because I This is too what happened. You asked me a question before. You asked me a question before. Do any does anything else? Has anything else happened? Yes, yes. Is anything else like except my my uh, ability to feel compassion? This is a strange, and I, I guess some realms people call it manifestation. I don't know, but but I was reminded of this by my friend that was the Buddhist that has been telling me for years do you not remember what happened to you with the pension lama it was a big deal to buddhist i i don't understand it that much but he said you were about to die you got a phone call you got back to oklahoma you needed a doctor you found a doctor in this little town a psychiatrist that is interested in ndes you needed a place to stay and get out of this place with it's so dirty. And, and I found a place to stay uh, in, in about a month. So I'll kind of have, um, you know, a place of my own. I think that'll help. I do apologize. This isn't even my regular voice. I was, I'd started my own business in this little tourist town. I was doing well. I I I was promoting it. It was I had built a website. It's I was so high functioning. And I I I had to quit that law firm job because I was told I was expected to do something with the partner I worked for that I couldn't, wasn't going to do. And so I lost my job. Uh, and uh, that's what started it. That's what started uh, the cave-in. I moved to, I went to, Pan- I got another job. It didn't work out. I moved to Panama. I stayed there two months. And then I just went to, I got my social security. And then I just got a plane ticket to Amsterdam and I just sat on trains for about nine months and would go from hostel to hostel but it happened when I found out what it was not not when it happened and I think that's unusual when you found out what what was the spiritual awakening didn't occur when I had the first NDE the spiritual awakening occurred when I heard the Advice on Dying book and read what I had and realized it was the same thing. And I woke up so fast. It was like, I can't even, people, I couldn't communicate with people. Um, 
I just I didn't go out of the house all weekend. I just played that audio book back and read and read and read because I couldn't believe it. And then, of course, I thought it was crazy. And then everything started happening. My secretary embezzled all my funds. You know, her <laughs> her niece was the DA. There was no criminal charges that could be filed. It's just I don't know if this is normal or not, but my life fell apart and fell apart and fell apart. And I don't know if that's normal. And if that happens to people. Do you believe in past lives? Yes. Do you think it's possible you were a Buddhist in a past life? After long thought about it, I believe and studying it, I believe not only was I a Buddhist, but I was probably pretty advanced and that I uh, uh, died like that. And that's why I had that memory. That's I did a conscious death. And also, I guess, the fact that this real high-ranking next guy after the Dalai Lama maybe recognized me in some way. How did you feel after he did that mind transfer with you? It's hard to remember because I was, I was in such a state of kind of loss and grief and not having anywhere to live. I, I don't remember how I felt. I re, the only thing I remember is the way the look on Kalen's face and then he had to sit down in a chair going, I don't believe what I just saw. I don't, I don't remember how I felt. Or, or whether I felt different, I don't remember. I don't remember knowing anything different, or knowing anything about Buddhism, really. You mentioned earlier that this is not even my real voice. Uh huh. What did you mean by that? My voice now is higher and shaky. I don't even think I could do my real voice, my real, it's, my voice is different. It's, it's, it's like, like I've just, like your voice would be after when you're trying to tell an officer what happened in a traffic wreck. It's, and I can't seem to, when I'm talking to a client and trying to help them, then I can get my real voice. But this isn't mine. It's too high and it wavers. And and only if I'm helping someone will I get back to my normal voice and I can say, okay, let's just do it one at a time. And my real voice is very calm and collected. So that's what I meant. It sounds like you find peace in doing service and helping people. It's the only time I feel okay. Even though most of our clients are just, you can't help them. But when people say, you know, because I work every day because there's nothing else to do. Another thing that's happened with this last near-death experience is my daughter I hadn't talked to got in touch with me, so I'm going to see her. That's huge. Uh, the only time I feel normal is when I'm trying to work out how to help someone. And after I got out of law school, I realized how bad I hated it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate practicing law. I hate it. Uh, and I have to force myself to do it. But the only time I feel normal is when I'm 
helping somebody and they I wish they wouldn't, but they say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I say, but I didn't do anything for you. And so many of them say, but you listened to me. And nobody has ever listened to me. Mm-hmm. But that's not been anything. And one girl kept thanking me. And I said, please don't do that. It's not a drop. What I did for you is not a drop in the ocean of what people did for me. So... But people want to thank you. And you just sometimes you can't do anything. And they thank you anyway. And they thank you just because you tell me you tell me what the law is. You tell me what I didn't know, but that's nothing. I feel like I should be doing more. Partly what they're thanking for, in my opinion, is your intention of help. And Maybe. sometimes you, I think sometimes all of us help people more than we realize. Yeah, the and, woman in line at Walgreens after I spoke to her, she turned back around and she turned back around and quoted some scripture from the Old Testament to me. And then she said, thank you for talking to me. Uh, it's also confusing. But the doctor that's treating me, I went to another one, and they just gave me all of these psychotropic, whatever you call them, just seven drugs. And I said, I can't do that. And uh, I went to this other guy, and and I was talking to him about spiritual emergency, and he said he's going to treat it like that. He said, quit taking all this. Don't do that. Just uh, I'll give you a little bit of Valium which I can't take at work because it knocks me out. But since this last near-death experience, I've just been afraid of everything. And I don't think that's normal for an NDE. I don't, but I never saw anybody. I never saw anyone welcome me. I never saw any pretty sights. And everybody says you're not as afraid of death after one, but it's not true with me. Well, the second one sounds more like an OBE. You know, you're just kind of, it sounds, I mean, you were malnutritioned, maybe weak, kind of popped out of your body. And I think that you were just kind of around your body or above your body. You really didn't go anywhere, right? Right, yeah. If you just kind of hung around your body, I don't know if you would expect to go anywhere or see anything amazing because you just happen to pop out of your body and then you pop back in. So maybe you, your expectations of that second NDE are too high because you really, you know, didn't have a... It was a, just out of it. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think the fact that I need stuff and things are coming to me and I told my friend how scared I was of, you know, getting old and tied to a wheelchair in a nursing home and dying like that. I, he said, look, he said, you build up good. He says, he said, it's not going to happen because you build up good stuff and everything you've needed is being provided to you. And I think that's part of the compassion part somehow, but I can't piece it together. 
some of the people who have had NDEs and have had life reviews, and not everybody does, they discover through their life review that the little things that they do to help people are so important and almost more important than anything else. And you appear to be doing these little things for people that are what are so important. Just helping somebody on the street, listening to somebody at the grocery store, random acts of kindness that are really meaningful or more meaningful than doing other things that you would think are supposed to be. Maybe, yeah, I've read about that, that life reviews, there's just a woman that just did something and it wasn't anything to her and she and several people that did. And then later on, she can see this woman doing for other people and then it just gets generational and it spreads. And maybe it is little things. And so to me, the fact that all these people around you are so thankful is a confirmation that you're helping people more than you realize. That's good to hear. That's good news to hear. That's a good thought. Mm -hmm. Seems logical to me. I mean, just by their reactions to what you're doing. You know, obviously I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a counselor or anything. Just listening to your story, I feel that even though you, you know, you, you started to lose the ego and even though you didn't go to some beautiful, amazing place and were overwhelmed with love, it still wasn't generally a negative experience. It, it, you know, that once you come to terms that it really wasn't a bad thing that happened, that you'll get some kind of spiritual relief. I feel like at some point I'll get over it and I'll integrate whatever's happening to me and I'll learn to live, you know, a lot less money and and won't be worried about what's going to happen to me. And I think that it'll integrate. I believe that just down there where you know things. Do you have any plans? I mean, you mentioned that you want to start helping people in hospice or something. What Do you have any personal goals for the future? No, I'm going to. Part of my job is going to be helping the people in the hospital. That's part of what I'm going to get paid for. Mm -hmm. That's legally speaking? Yeah. uh, I'll get paid for. Part of my job is visiting people at the hospital that are dying Mm -hmm. and need certain documents. There is a need for that, for someone to go in and help people get their affairs in order so it sounds like that could be you know a great service also that you can be providing that's the psychiatrist i talked to when i told him he looked up at me and just looked at me and said that is so needed Mm -hmm. so yeah you just need some more training uh legally to be able to go handle those paperwork yeah i've got to get certified in certain stuff and and my friend uh, is uh, wants me to get a little less, you know, <clears throat> upset all the time. And uh, probably de- December. Do you practice meditation? I have. I I spent time at Isha Foundation, Sadhguru's place. Uh, 
one of the places I went. Uh, I can do some of that <clears throat> to say that right now I'm not doing it and I'm also not getting outside much. And I thought after this, I'd go outside because I can't, I, I can't go get food. I can't go to the store. I go, I go, um, I go to the parking lot and I can get out of the car, but I can't go in the store. So going outside is hard. I don't know. This all happened when all this other happened. <clears throat> I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I need to be outside more. And I set my clock to go outside for 15 minutes and walk. I think it's great. Did you find that meditation, that the type that you were doing, was it helpful? Yeah. Sadhguru has this thing called, uh, uh, it's just 20 minutes or something. And I had had knee surgery and I found it. And it, it all he says is, you know, I'm not the body. I'm not even the mind. Uh, and that really opened. That's really the life fell apart then too. I moved from where I was and went out there and stayed in the hostel and and and, and volunteered for them for a month. And even though I wasn't a meditator and I never did yoga, they let me in somehow. I'm just curious if it if you do find it helpful, maybe you should go back to doing it. I should go back to doing it the the place I live is so dirty. Just getting on the floor or anything, it's just almost impossible. I, I've always had this real bad thing about dirt. Even when I started to crawl, I used to brush off my knees. So I came in with it somehow and, and being buried alive. <laughs> well, there's all kinds of meditation videos on YouTube. And you can sit up. A lot of them are you. You're supposed to sit up. Even you don't get on the floor or anything. You sit in a chair and meditate, or you could lay in your bed and meditate. And maybe you would like to just listen to a bunch of different ones. And if you find something that's helpful, maybe you can practice it. You know, because there's different types of meditation. Yeah, I listened to to Eckhart Tolle's Bioral, but now one of my earphones is out, and it was just tones and that helped because when I was falling apart back in March and April and May, I was listening to a lot of those, you know, Deepak Chopra and anything else I could find. Have you considered getting hypnotherapy? Yes. Or, ha or have you done it? Yes. And did you do it for yes. your NDE? Yes. This is what I wanted to do. I found, I went on to the, uh, uh, the Newton website and I uh, found a person who was like 50 miles from me when I was in Arkansas and I wanted her to do a life between life so I could figure out what I was doing here but my insurance didn't pay 150 bucks a pop it was about I'd already paid like a thousand dollars and we had never done it and then I just fell apart and I couldn't stay there i didn't have anywhere to live uh and then i tried to do one online uh that my computer wouldn't stay connected very well uh with another one of the uh michael newton people i think they're probably really good 
uh, I remember she told me the first, and he, he couldn't do it. We were on the phone two hours and it just didn't work. And, uh, but I remember the girl that was in Cave Springs, she said, the last thing she said to me, she looked at me and she said, Alex, nobody needs you. Nobody needs you. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I don't either. But I think she was doing psychotherapy and I just wanted her to take me back and see what I was here to do. And a thousand bucks later, nothing. But hypnotherapy, I think I did one. She took me back to one place and I was somewhere evidently in Africa and I was in a hut on stilts and I was all by myself and you had to get, you had to, you had to walk a long way to get to me. It wasn't like, it wasn't near any town or anything. If somebody wanted to come see me, they really had to make the trek. And I lived alone and I remember what the inside of the hut looked like and everything. And uh, that people would come to me and we would sit by the fire and talk and they would ask me questions and I would answer them. And and, uh, then she took me to my last breath. And and I remember I was afraid because I was alone. But then I remember where I was. And I remember that very vividly. And I think that that type of would help but that was hypnotherapy I think that I don't know where else to get it I think that helped because it kind of solidified that yeah there there are other things there were other things this is not just this lifetime and I have to tell myself this is just this one lifetime this is just one lifetime you you don't have that long to go you're almost 70 You, you can bear it I think what I was meaning by hypnotherapy is have you ever considered regressing or having a hypnotherapy session of your NDE? No, I I didn't know that that it existed or I could do it. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure there are hypnotherapists out there that can take you through your NDE again and maybe you'll pick up more information or if you go through it again you'll come to some new conclusion about what happened. Yeah. I just think what happened after years of thinking about it was I was a Buddhist. I was a monk. I was old. I chose to die a conscious death and I died in meditation. And that's what I saw. And I just relived that again. And it may have been, a recent past life i don't know why it was why i saw that but it's exactly what he said it was it was exactly what he said on the audio it was exactly i kept reading what i'd written down two years ago and and i just i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it i, I just and you couldn't tell anybody. I had one other guest talk about going to Bardo. And I've had a, like 600 guests. So it's hard to remember exactly 
what the conversation was about, but I remember asking, what is Bardo? Because I didn't even know what Bardo was. But this person didn't mention it in the details that you did, from what I remember, and especially not the four different things. And, and I just have put together what I've read on the internet you know, about the Bardo, and there's there's a few monks that'll talk about it, but what that's what I've put together that the, that there are different bardos that and and they are like dimensions or doors that we talked about that are whatever word we used and and that this life is a bardo, and then the other sections are bardos, and I may not have that exactly right, but after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and talk to you. Are you okay with that? Yes. 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 I'm afraid they'll look at it and go, God, she's really lost it. But yes, yes, um, yes. What's the best way to reach you? I don't care however they want to reach me. What's the best way that you could think of? What Do they want it? What if they message you on Facebook? I guess they can. And then I can give them my number or something, or they could just email me. Because I found you on Facebook, so I'm pretty sure they should be able to. And then at, at that point, maybe it, you, know, you can decide if you want to give them your email or your phone number or whatever. Yeah, they could just, I am that message, mm -hmm. so it doesn't go with everything else. And I can just look at messages and then see it. Right, like a like we did, like a, you know, just on that Facebook Messenger. Yeah, yeah, they can do that. Mm -hmm. I'd be glad to talk to anybody. It seems like there's differences in mine because I didn't know who I was, and I had all amnesia, and it was black, and it, mine seems a little different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, before we finish up. Can you give us one last positive message? <laughs> keep swimming. <laughs> you know, just just keep swimming. Just keep going. Uh, if you're in a thing like me, you just there's not any choice. You know, you can't. There's ways not to go. And just, I didn't expect that question. Sorry. But, okay. I'm glad. I like the reaction I got from you. <laughs> Did uh, just keep, just do whatever's in front of you to do. Just do that thing. Just focus on that. Just do that one thing and time will pass and you'll get better. Alex, thank you for your message and thank you. Again, for being my guest today, I wish you the best. Thank you for having me. It was incredibly kind of you to find me and to do this. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.